0: Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 and the Psalms, uh, specifically Psalm 139. So you can uh, turn there Matthew 1, Psalm 139. Alright, we are continuing our series uh, called He Shall Be Called. That song that Wendy and the team just sang was perfect. Uh, talking about the different names of God, I've appreciated as we sung that a couple times during this series. And we've talked about how God is mighty God, how he is prince of peace, how he's light of the world. And today, how he is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18... I wanna read a passage which we may hear this time of year. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, whenever I read this, I just have this very human response to how in the world did that conversation go? Hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant and it's the Holy Spirit, I promise, right? I mean, it's this like moment where, like, how does Joseph process that? How does Mary communicate that? That's why the value of the next part. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is still is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Still a lot to process in this reality here. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Just pause for a moment. God with us. With me, With you, with those outside of these walls, God with us. So often we can feel or think about a God who is distant. I mean, you think of creator of the universe, almighty God, this huge being which you just cannot wrap your mind around. But yet in the Christmas season, God with us, God near us. This is what is known as the Incarnation. In incarnation, Britannica describes it this way. It is, it is this central Christian doctrine that God became flesh, that God assumed a human nature and became a man in the form of Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. So it is God coming in the flesh, God with us. This is incarnation, but we don't just stop there. The doctrine maintains that the, divinity, the divine and the human natures of Jesus do not exist beside one another in an unconnected way, but rather are joined in him in a personal unity that has traditionally been referred to as the hypostatic union. The union of two natures has not resulted in their demutation or mixture. Rather, the identity of each is believed to have been preserved. Did you catch all that? Right? So it is not, A version, Jesus is not a version of like a watered down God, nor is Jesus partial human. He is fully divine, fully God, and fully human. How that works? I don't know. But Jesus is this incarnation, this God come in human form. He's fully divine, fully human. And I love how in the gospel, according to John, chapter 1, It's described in the message, which is a paraphrase. I love how it describes Jesus. The word, being Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood that he drew near. Wasn't distant, but came to be a neighbor, came to experience the things we experience, the highs, the lows, the pains, the joy of it. It is God with us, Emmanuel. Now, the word Emmanuel breaks down. The word El is God, and Emmanuel is with us. So simply God with us, that God has drawn near. Now, this doctrine is something that is in some of the songs that we sing in this type of year, too. For example, Charles Wesley wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing. This is a song you may hear, you may sing in the next week. There's a verse that says this that talks about the incarnation. God is Emmanuel. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, put on flesh and blood and drew near. This incarnate God dwelling with us. This is Jesus, our Emmanuel. This is a powerful doctrine. This is a powerful thought that God is not far away, but God is near. That God is with you that God knows what's going on. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, Scripture says. And when we look back to the Old Testament, when the beginning of the narrative, when we look at the Garden of Eden, we see a picture of God walking with humanity, that God desired to be near and be present. Even after sin entered the picture, there's the Israelites, and as the Israelites walk and travel and as they wander, that God is present, that he is with the people, providing, caring, he is there. But like us, they would wonder if God was there. For example, in Exodus, as they wandered in the desert, there's a short line here that says, is the Lord among us or not? I have asked this, I'm imagining you have asked this as you've been in situations. Is the Lord among us or not? Does does God really know what's going on? Does God really care? Is God really here? Throughout scripture, God it continues to reaffirm this in the, the stories that are told and in the interactions with people very much like us, people who struggle, people who have joys, people who walk through life making all sorts of decisions. To Isaac in Genesis 26, it says, stay in this land for a while and I will be with you. To Jacob in Genesis 31, then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. To Moses in Exodus 3, says, I will be with you. To Joshua in Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous, for I will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself will be with you. And then Joshua, he needed a reminder again. In Joshua chapter 1, again, God said, So I will be with you, Joshua. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I imagine that there's a number of us here today that need to be reminded of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, that God is not far, that he is near. Flip over to Psalm 139, a passage that may be familiar to you, maybe you've heard Psalm 139. Starting in verse seven, the psalmist, David, writes these words, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? So this is really the opposite of what the Israelites were asking in Exodus of like, is the Lord here? David's like, I can't get away from you. You are everywhere. He says in verse eight, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Now, this is a passage where we're like, yes, when things are really, really good. Yep, God, you're there. And sometimes when things are really bad, we can lean into this and find this comfort. But often when it's hard, we ask that question, is the Lord really here? Does God really know what's going on? Does God really care? I mean, maybe this season you're walking through a heartbreak with the loss of a loved one. Or financial mess or some sort of difficult decision you have to make, or divorce you're walking through, or struggle with sexual identity, or sexual temptation, or just any temptation, a broken relationship of trust, or some sort of diagnosis. And you read this passage and you're like, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And sometimes when you're in that low of low, you're like, I don't hear or feel or experience anything. Like God is free far away if God is even there. See, so in these situations, we can run from or run to God. If you flip back to Psalm 84, I wonder what the psalmist that we're about to read was experiencing. And I want you to pay attention here is this, this back and forth of the presence of God, the, the wonder of God, the is God apart? what's going on here. Psalm 84. Starting in verse one, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my God and my King, blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools, and they go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. Now, we can read this, and we may skim right over the valley of Baca, and we may skim over what he's talking about here. But uh, as a modern reader, we need to go back and be like, "What what does Baca mean? Baca means tears or weeping. So what the psalmist is saying is like, hey, you're walking through the valley of weeping. You're walking through a valley of tears. Keep moving. This, some scholars believe, was a valley that had balsam trees where it weeps its resin out. And this is also a place that people journeyed through to go to Jerusalem. And to make it through this valley of weeping, of tears, unscathed, is amazing. Because there was always something perilous or fearful or difficult, whether it was the train itself in the desert going through, or whether it was the presence of thieves. And what the psalmist is describing here is to keep the eyes, the journeyer's eyes focused on the Lord. See, it's not when you walk through the desert that you wonder about the absence, but rather you look into the faithfulness of God. You lean into his faithfulness and you see him even more deeply. The psalmist continues in this way in verse eight. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun, light, shield, he's protection. The Lord bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is Emmanuel, God with us. So it's not just like, God, I know you're present somewhere, somehow but rather let your presence be known here and now in this situation and in me. Lord, draw close in the person of Jesus. He took on flesh so long ago. He walked this planet so he could understand us. There's a man named Joseph Damien who went as a missionary to the Hawaiian Islands in 1864. In 1873, he volunteered to minister at a leper colony there. He was, in this colony, there was not a doctor or nurse or clergy or even a gravedigger, and he just served. This island was a place of quarantine for those with leprosy. Joseph Damien, he decided to build a chapel, a place where those with leprosy could come and worship. But after 12 long years and hardly anyone ever coming to that church, he decided to leave in 1885 standing on the pier waiting for the ship to take him home to Belgium. Damien looked down at his hands and he noticed white spots on them, for he too had contracted leprosy. The news of this missionary's disease quickly spread over the island and hundreds of people with leprosy gathered around his home. Now people could identify with his pain and he could identify with their pain, with their despair. And as the story goes, is that the next Sunday, that chapel was filled with people because no longer was he far away telling them of love, telling them of hope, but rather he drew near to them. He was like them. And over the next four years, before his death at age 49, he shared Christ in a way that he never could have before. Jesus, too, he became human, the incarnation, Emmanuel. He humbled himself so that he could be with us, so that we could be with him. And Jesus, at the end of his ministry, he promised the Holy Spirit one that would always be with us. And then even further ahead, in the book of Revelation, it says this, it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And so in the end of this narrative, in eternity, there is this drawing near of God with people. The incarnation is God coming to our place. The cross is a picture of Jesus taking our place. And salvation, the work that Jesus did on the cross is an invitation to him. Now in our remaining... uh, a time that we have, I want to share. I want to share a story with you, and this is a story that Pastor Greg Craig Rochelle shared. Um, and I'm going to ask you as I read this story. This is this did not happen. This is not something you're going to find in Scripture. This exact narrative, but what's in this narrative unfolds in Scripture. You're going to notice a lot of that Scripture. So just to be super clear, uh, this is consistent with what the Bible said, but you're not going to find this in Scripture. So, I want to read this story to you, and I want you to enter into this with like this childlike wonder to hear this story anew, afresh, to embrace the wonder of it as we consider really the love of the Father explaining to Jesus his role and purpose. The loving Father explained to Jesus what his mission on earth would actually entail. Jesus, Son. This is your mission if you choose to accept it. I'm gonna send you to earth to fulfill my perfect will, to be a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, I've chosen you to do this. And for you, I've chosen a woman who will be your mother. You're gonna love her. She's a teenage girl who is completely devoted to our will. Her name is Mary. She loves us so much. She is pure in every way. She's going to be an amazing mom. I've also chosen for you an earthly dad. Now, I'm your heavenly father, but you have an earthly dad as well. His name is Joseph. He's a good man. But to be real honest, Mary is going to get a whole lot more attention. Joseph, you'll be, he'll be lucky to get mentioned. But he's a good guy, and he's going to be your stepdad. Now, Jesus, when you go to earth, you're going to have to remember, you're going to be born of a virgin, you're gonna to have to be born of a virgin. In other words, you're gonna spend nine months in Mary's womb before she pushes you out into the cruel cold world. Jesus speaks up perhaps for the first time and says, nine months, is there another way? Can we provide some sort of stork or something? God laughs and Jesus is joking, he says, you can do this. Just to be real clear why you have to be born of a virgin, it's because you're not, gonna have, you're, gonna have, you're not gonna have an earthly father who helps you be conceived. Therefore, you will not inherit the sin nature of an earthly father, but you're still born of a woman. Therefore, you are all man, but because I'm your real father, you're also all divine. You're human and you're divine. You're man and you're God. That's why it has to be done this way, Jesus says. Of course I understand. Now when you're born, you need to understand this. You're gonna be born in a very common place. Most people would expect you to be born in a palace because you are the son of God, but I've selected a very nice place for you next to some farm animals. Jesus smiles and he says, I get it. We're gonna let everybody know that I haven't come just for the rich and the powerful, but I've come for the common and the ordinary. God says, exactly, Jesus. Now when you're born, Jesus, from day one, you need to realize that every demon in hell is going to hate you, and for your whole life be coming after you to try to destroy you. The first time you're gonna see this is even when before you're walking. King Herod is gonna issue a command that all the little boys under the age of two would be murdered because he's trying to find you. Your family is gonna have to go on the run, and you're gonna have to escape to Egypt, and if you don't get out of there, your life is in danger. Maybe Jesus is taking notes at this point and he writes this down. Note, remember, secure, fast, reliable donkey. God goes on to him and says, Jesus, you're gonna have supernatural power. All the power in heaven you're gonna have on earth. You're gonna have power. You're gonna have supernatural power, he said. Whenever your mom and dad try to give you a bath, if you don't want to take the bath, you have the power to part the bath water and sit on a dry tub. Jesus, just take the bath. If your dad feeds you broccoli and you want to change it to cake, you could change it into chocolate cake. Jesus, just eat the broccoli. And when you go to school, you'll have perfect attendance. You'll make straight A's. Teachers will love you. The students will be jealous of you. When you grow up, I've chosen for you to be a carpenter just like your earthly dad. You're not going to make a lot of money, but you're going to find fulfillment in helping people. You will be good but people will not respect you in your hometown. They will not show you honor, but you will work with your hands creating because that is who we are. They have no idea that from the very wood that you create and form tables, that same type of wood will be used one day to form a cross on which you'll die. Jesus, use your power wisely. You'll be able to speak and change things The first miracle I've chosen for you, you're gonna change water into wine at a wedding. Jesus looks a little bit confused and says, Dad, my first miracle is gonna be a party trick. God smiles and says, yes. But Jesus, you're gonna do other miracles as well. You're gonna open the eyes of the blind. You're gonna heal deaf ears. You're gonna raise the dead and they're going to hate you. They're gonna call you liar. They're gonna call you a lunatic. They're gonna call you a crazy person. They're gonna call you a drunk and they're gonna say that you, son, are my enemy. Just keep loving them, Jesus. Keep showing them who we are. Show them my love. What I want you to do is to reach out and befriend those who are prostitutes, to touch those who are lepers, to love those that religion rejects. The more you love, the more they're gonna hate you. Just keep on loving. This is why you're going, remember. Show them who I am, to show them my heart and my love, and the devil is gonna attack at every turn. The devil is going to attack. After you've been seeking me for 40 days, the devil will attack. And when he does, I want you to fight back with the living word of God. Jesus, whenever the devil says, hey, turn these stones, you're hungry, turn them into bread, what verse will you use? Jesus says, I know. I'll tell the devil that it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God says, good, Jesus, good. What if the devil tells you to throw yourself off a mountain just to test to see if the angels will protect you? And Jesus says, that's easy. I'll tell the devil it's written, thou shall not put the Lord your God to test. God smiles big and says, that's good, son. That's good. But what if, what if Satan throws a big one at you? And he says, I'll give you all the riches of the world. All you have to do is worship me for a moment. Jesus says, Dad, I'll look at him and say, get away from me. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. God says, well done. Exactly right. Jesus, just keep standing strong. And oh yeah, Jesus, you're gonna have friends. In fact, you're gonna have 12 men that invest in you and love you, your disciples. And you're gonna give your best. You're gonna love them. And they're going to be loyal to you until they're not. Peter, he'll be one of the boldest, one of the loudest. And he's going to tell you, I will always be there for you, Jesus. Even if everyone else denies you, I'll never deny you. Then, in front of an eight-year-old girl, he's going to act like he never knew who you were, Jesus. He'll do it a second time and a third time because he's too afraid to stand by you that one is going to hurt. But when you're serving what is known as our supper, the Lord's Supper, you'll break bread, and you'll hand out wine, and that will represent what will happen to your body and the blood that will be spilled. And you will share that one with one of your closest, a man named Judas. Hours after that, that very same man will sell you out for a few pieces of silver and hand you over to your enemies. He'll betray you with a kiss on the cheek just keep loving Jesus. God looks at him and says, son, I want you to pay pay careful attention. It's going to be bad, but it's only going to get worse. In the garden of Gethsemane, you're going to see ahead what is coming to you. You're going to know. You're going to be so overwhelmed. You're going to ask me, dad, is there any other way? And I'm going to tell you then what I'm telling you now. You know there's not. You have to go to the cross. And when you look up at me with all the love and obedience in your heart, you'll say, okay, God. Dad, your will be done, not mine. Because of the pain of what you know is coming, you will literally sweat blood from your brow in agony. They will arrest you and they're gonna beat you. They're gonna hurt you like no man has been hurt before. You will not even be recognizable as a human. They'll whip you again and again and again and again on your bare back, 39 lashes until you're ripped open and you're crying out in agony. Then they'll throw you down on an instrument of torture known as a cross, and they'll stretch out your right arm, and they'll drive a stake through your wrist, and you'll scream in agony, because you are a man, and you will feel that pain. And then when you think nothing could hurt anymore, they'll take your other arm, and they'll do the exact same thing again. And when you aren't sure you can survive that agony any longer, they're gonna take your feet and drive stakes through your feet, And they'll strip you naked and humiliate you. They'll hang you on a cross where the very people that you are trying to love will come by, mock you, and spit on you, and say, Hail, hail to the King of Jews. You saved other people. Why don't you save yourselves? And the very people, Jesus, that we created will mock us, the Creator, all because of who you are. And you look up to heaven and say, Dad, please have mercy on them. Please forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. Press on, Jesus. At that moment, you can call on legions of angels. And I will send them to wipe them all out. But don't do that, Jesus. Just keep loving them. Press on to the finish. And when you do, complete everything that was prophesied you would do. Declare that it is finished. And say it out loud. It is finished then climb up into heaven and give me your spirit. Every step of the way, I'll be with you. I will 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 never leave you until you have to become sin. Take the sins of the world and die for those sins. Remember, Jesus, you are an innocent sacrifice. And when you become sin, I have to look away because I am holy. I cannot look upon sin All the physical pain will pale in comparison to that moment when I withdraw. And you will cry out, dad, dad, my God, my God, why did you turn away from me? Why can't you be with me now when I need you the most? And just remember, I cannot look at sin. Cry out and give your life for those who hate you. You'll be buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, some women will come and check on the tomb and the stone won't be in its proper place. And neither will you, son, because you will be raised from the dead, because we will fulfill the perfect and final sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, because we love so much. Are you up for that, son? Are you willing to do that? Jesus pauses for a moment, and he takes it all in. He weighs it. He says, yes, I am. That moment, the Holy Spirit speaks up and says, hey, guys, I'm over here. Jesus says, oh, I didn't see you, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, I always get left out. It's always God the Father, Jesus the Son, God, Jesus, God. Everyone always forgets about me. Jesus, don't forget to tell them about me. Tell them I'll be with them. Jesus says, of course I will. This is what Jesus says. He says, I will look at them and I will clearly tell them you love me and keep my commands, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you. He will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus says, I know. I need to remind them that even when I go away, the Spirit will come and dwell within them. When I leave, I'm going to tell them what to do and promise and commit to them. I'll tell them, here's your assignment. And before I ascend to heaven, I'll say, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I will tell them this, Dad. I'll tell them, I am always with you till the very end of the age, because that's who we are. We will be the word made flesh. I am Emmanuel, God with them. We won't leave them. We won't forsake them, even when they hate us, even when they reject us. We will continue to love them. Even when they turn away, we'll continue to pursue them. God says, Jesus, are you up to this? Yes. Yes, I'm up for this. What's your mission, Jesus? Let's be really clear. Jesus says, My mission is to seek and to save the lost. My mission is to rescue those who are dead in their sins and to bring them to life and life more abundantly. Father said, Good Jesus. What are you going to say? Who are you saying you're going for? I'm not going for the righteous. I'm going for the sinners. I'm not going for those who are already healthy. I'm going for the sick. Why are you going? Because I'm the good shepherd. The people are without a shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. I've got to go. We can't not go. We can't shout our love from heaven. We've got to show our love on earth. I will go and show them how good you are. I'll show them how much you love them. I'll show them that love isn't just something you do, but it's who you are, it's your essence, your being, Dad. This season is far greater than a cute baby being born placed in a manger. This season is the ongoing mission of God, the Father God sending his one and only son. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world. This is outpouring of love. So loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is what Christmas is about. God sending his son. Verse 17 says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned because they've already not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the story of Christmas. This is the story of Emmanuel. This is the story of God with us. I invite you to join me for prayer. Lord Jesus, as we... Enter this last week approaching Christmas Day. Lord, we're reminded of the hope we find in Jesus. Lord, the peace we find in Jesus. The joy we find in Jesus. And ultimately, your love. And Father, as we walk towards Christmas Day, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. God, you would fill us with these Elements of of hope and joy and peace and love. God, that we would pause to remember, Lord, who you sent and why you sent Jesus. Lord, thank you for the transforming work that you've done in me because of Jesus and that you've done in so many others. Lord, today, God, whether it's someone in this space or whether it's someone online, if they've never said yes to following Jesus, that they would make today the day that they would begin to walk with you. That today, I'm a sinner. I need you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus that we celebrate in this time of year. and Thank you for his death on the cross, for his life. Thank you for burial and resurrection. Thank you that you are a living God, and today I want to journey with you, I want to begin my walk with you. For those of us that have followed Jesus and are following Jesus, God, that we would have a renewed reminder that you are with us, that you are present in our darkest moment and in our most joy-filled moment. God, remind us that you are Emmanuel, God, with us. You are the one carrying us, providing for us. Jesus, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder of the season, the pause. Thank you for the story of Christmas. Father, thank you for meeting us exactly where we're at here today. thanks that we get to be a part of your ongoing work. But Jesus, we say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that you're with us. We pray this in Jesus' strong, powerful, and wonderful name.